You guys have set the bar pretty high here. It's so great to be here. Um, the last time I was here was 50 years ago. I was a kid driving through from Chicago to Florida, and I always remember how beautiful it was. So I was so excited to be coming back, and it was completely dark and foggy yesterday and foggy today, so I'm praying for a little bit of sunshine. But it's wonderful to be here. It's an honor and a privilege to be part of Dr. Brock's um, Legacy Leadership Forums, and so thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I love, love the topic of leadership. I've been a student of leadership um, for many, many years, and I encourage all of you to make it a lifelong uh, interest. It is something I never stop learning in, but I particularly love chewing on it with young people. Uh, one of my sons, he's 30, he just became COO of a company, and um, he came to me for advice, and uh, that was unusual, you know. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're somebody's parent, you're not very smart. And uh, so I was really excited. I gave him some advice, and actually it was a very serious issue he brought to me, and I was very concerned for um, how he was going to respond, and, I, and um, I, we completely disagreed on what he should do. So he came to me for advice, didn't like it, and uh, things started getting a little heated, and um, he said something like, well, Mom, things aren't just, they're not the same as the way they were when you were running companies. Well, I'm going to leave it to your imagination what my response was, but um, my point in telling that is leadership doesn't really change. Um, so, so always look into great leaders. It, these qualities have, have stood the test of time, and they will continue to stand the test of time. So I'm going to give you five keys to what I think make a great leader a great Christian leader. And I have tried to come up with things that you won't find in a leadership book. But I think um, anyone would have a hard time beating me uh, uh, and come up with a better five. So the first one, uh, I'm going to say, a key to leadership, is going to surprise you a little bit. And that is absolutely fundamentally important, high correlation with success, is to build a strong and spiritual, spiritually healthy family. Um, every statistic out there will show that this has a huge impact on anyone's leadership, how well your family's doing. Um, this was brought home to me in um, the research I did for my book that uh, Derek mentioned. I invited America's 100 top corporate women to participate in some research. And 50 of the busiest people in the world, people who are leading big companies and raising a family, uh, responded and said they'd take the time and work with me. 49 of those women were married to their first husband. These are CEOs, people at the C-level. One was a widow, so she was single. But that was a remarkable statistic, well beyond any norm or average in our country. Um, and what it taught me was that for somebody to, particularly a woman, to rise in the corporate world and keep rising and keep getting more and more responsibility, everything at home had to be in good shape. Family had to be content. And... Um, this held true for men, too. Um, 
the impact of divorce on a man's ability to lead, the statistics show it is highly impacting. Um, if things are struggling at home, you're not going to be leading as well at work. And so my number one key to success is um, to raise a content family. The other thing I learned about this in this research was that all of these women had women, had children um, after they were middle managers. And all but one said that that was the biggest, most significant positive impact on their leadership style than any other thing in their career. Um, it made them more human. It made them more loving. It made them more warm. It made them more flexible, more patient. Um, just enumerated tons and tons of skills that their children taught them. And when you think about it, what, what do children teach us? They teach us how to, as parents, um, how to be patient, how to be flexible, how to prioritize, how to plan, how to manage chaos, how to negotiate, how to motivate, um, how to know when to let go and, and when to be directive, how to empower. It is just a 20, I think it's 50 hours a week that a parent is getting leadership training. If you add that up over the course of your child's lifetime, it's 50,000 hours of leadership training that a non-parent doesn't get. So there's nothing more significant than having a strong family and becoming a great parent. So that's number one. Number two is become an expert at yourself. Know yourself better than anybody knows you. This is easier said than done. A lot of us know our good qualities, and we know one or two of our weaknesses. But those weaknesses aren't traumatic. You know, we might be too impatient. We might um, not be very organized. We might have these skills that we know we have to improve. But I'm talking about the deeper stuff. I'm talking about the darker stuff. We all have a sinful nature, and we all have um, areas where we are wrong-hearted, and as a result, when we lead, the wrong things come out. Um, if you look at our, the powerful people leading our country today, there are some real people of power that have no clue to how the rest of the world perceives them. Can you think of anybody? Um, so you can become very powerful and be totally blind to um, what you are doing that is causing um, bad things for your organization. So you really have to work hard at this. Um, this I was blessed with a couple of mentors who helped me do this, because every organization God put me in, I was weird. I was the oddball. I was the only woman. I came out of college designing computers, and back then, there weren't many women at all. And everybody that um, I worked with, I, w I wasn't real, I didn't have a real high emotional intelligence yet, but I could tell that you know, when I walked in the room, everybody's head went down. 
Um, I can tell that I was off-putting to people. I had no clue why. And one of the things my mentor taught me early on is the truth about yourself is what other people perceive about yourself, not what you perceive about yourself. Now, you may or may not believe that, but my believing that for a, to a large degree was one of my keys to success. Because then I was like, okay, I might think I'm a nice person, but if they think I'm pushy, I'm pushy. And I need to learn how to not be pushy. Um, if I kept thinking to myself, but I'm nice, I did this and I did that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So I really, really encourage you to work hard at this. this and our problems are in the heart. So if somebody tells you, oh, you're too demanding or you talk too much or you um, are too ambitious or too competitive, you know, there's a heart problem underneath those things. You're either afraid of failing or you are um, needing too much affirmation. Um, you have the need to be adored or whatever the issue might be. It takes a lot of work. So I encourage you, um, as Christians entering a secular world, you're going to be weird. Um, and so you're going to have to go out of your way to figure out why are they reacting to me? Why are they having this response to me? Um, and, and what can I do about it? But also, um, as a Christian in a non-Christian world, your broken parts um, are going to have an effect on people. There's a higher bar. Once you hear somebody you're working with is a Christian, you have a higher standard for that person. And so if that person starts getting angry at work, or if that person has a problem listening, to you, that's a, that's a contradiction of their Christianness. And so you have a standard that's a little bit higher than other people. So I encourage you. It will, it will open all sorts of doors for you. After about 30 years of getting good at um, seeking and receiving feedback, I joined Trinity Evangel Evangelical Divinity School. And my, I was appointed one of the most brilliant, brilliant men of our time as my guidance counselor. His name is D.A. Carson. I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of him. But he's just an amazingly brilliant theologian. And in our second meeting, he said, he read my book. Now, a book is like a baby. You put a lot of effort into your book. Um, and so this was near and dear to my heart, and I, I said, oh, what'd you think? And he said in an extremely flippant and pompous tone, uh, you oversold your premise in the first two chapters. My reaction was I was delighted. I was absolutely delighted. This person has just told me something that's true. I never had even thought about. Nobody else had ever pointed out. But more importantly, this guy is willing to give me it straight. I found somebody that can just, don't sugarcoat it, just give it to me. And I had a lot to learn. I was a new Christian. And so I looked at him, I said, oh, you're right. Nobody's ever told me that. And he was just like, he was just ready for me to melt. 
and crawl under the table. And because I didn't, because I was receptive, that the most brilliant man I ever met spent the next seven years pouring wisdom into me. I was worth it. I was a good project for him. It was going to make a difference. I had a teachable spirit. So it's going to open doors for you if you get really good at it. And I encourage you. It's obviously going to help you too, help you in your life. Okay, number three. <clears throat> How many people in this room would think, okay, I'm going to give you a situation. You have leader A who walks with the Lord, the almighty, powerful God, who knows the Lord, knows how to hear the Lord, and is willing to follow the Lord. And you have leader B, who doesn't know God or do any of those things. Which one is going to be lead better? It's not a trick question, right? Of course it's this one. And so, third key to success is loving God. Um, we've got the creator that's willing to partner with us. And we underestimate the power that that has in what we do. And, you know, a lot of leadership books will tell you, Christian leadership books, is have quiet time with the Lord. Well, there's quiet time and there's quiet time, and it's hard sometimes for some of us to keep that flame going every single day. But the key to that is really getting to love God, and the key to getting to love God is getting to know God. And once you know God and love God, you are going to delight spending time with him, and you are going to want to spend every single morning started with him and saying, okay, what's on our agenda today? My first um, 30 years of working in high tech, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord like that. I was a Catholic. I, didn't, I hadn't received the Holy Spirit. When I went to Zondervan, it was my first time leading, partnering with God. And it was the most unbelievable thing. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I was running billion-dollar businesses, traveling the world, living the high life, super challenging, exciting. Nothing compared to leading with the Lord. It was so different. One of my first jobs was to go to corporate in New York, Harper Collins, and convince them that they had been milking Zondervan and that I wouldn't commit to um, the budget that I was given. And my CFO and I were praying on the plane on the way there, Lord, soften her heart, soften her heart, because she got my budget, hit the roof, and called me out to New York, and, you know, I knew I was in trouble. We prayed, Lord, soften her heart. We get in the, get in the conference room, and she's like fuming before she even gets started. And I'm just sitting there, oh, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And because um, I really wanted to, to get my company on a different track. And just as she starts laying into why this is absolutely unacceptable, her administrative assistant walks in, hands her a note, and she is like glowing and happy and excited and jumping. And one of her authors had just won a Nobel, P a Nobel Prize. And there's like nothing greater than that for a publisher, for an author. And so God had just, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's such a Nobel Prize winner in the middle of my meeting. <laughs> so we get back on track and we're meeting 
and, it, and we really start in a much better place, but as the hour is going, it's kind of falling down again. And sure enough, assistant comes to the door again, walks in, second Nobel Prize. It's like, <laughs> God didn't send one Nobel Prize, he sent two. I mean, like, I love this job. <laughs> Seriously, there were so many moments like that, but there were tough, tough moments. But the difference was I had this peace and this joy and just this confidence. And my heart wasn't in a place of, okay, how can I look good? Or, oh, that's going to look bad on me. Or it was all gone. It was, you know, a totally different experience. So number three, love God. Number four, going to be a real surprise now, love everybody. Gee, these are God's two commandments to us. How can they affect leadership? But think about it. If you're working for somebody who loves you, who cares about you, who's interested in what you're interested in, who wants you to grow, um, who wants you to, to be aligned with your passions, and, you know, versus you, you're working for somebody who's just, you got to get this done, this is the project, just do it, don't complain, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a difference, right? And if you look at all these characteristics that... You know, they tell us to be patient and kind and gentle and humble. Well, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 wraps it all up. That is love. And guess what? It's weirder to talk about love in the office than it is to talk about God. What is it about our world that I can't tell my employees I love you? Well, guess what? I did, and often. In fact, at AT AT&T, I had become a turnaround artist. Every time a project got in trouble, they added it to my organization, said fix it, and within a year, year and a half, it would be completely turned around. And so they noticed. They said, let's go figure this out. So they sent experts to come study my leadership style. And they came back and they concluded the the one differentiator, the biggest differentiator, was that I cared for people. I cared for people. So then AT&T says, okay, Mo, teach the rest of us how to care for people. <laughs> I have no clue how to teach anybody how to care for people. But I knew it is teachable because I didn't start out caring for people. I might have thought I cared for people, but I cared about want. And so God had done something in my heart. I still I hadn't met the Lord yet really in the right way. And I'm trying to come up with a class for AT&T senior executives to care for people. So I try and um, I take a couple of people who are enthusiastic. They, they're not very well-liked leaders, and they want to they wanna get better at this. And so I take them through this training, and it just totally flops. Um, the people knew they were fake. It wasn't genuine. They were trying to be nice to people in order to get glory for themselves. And so one of the other researchers in my book that I figured out was people are so accurate when it comes to authenticity. They absolutely know. If you take, um, I'll take both a Democrat and a Republican, um, Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina, super intelligent women, People couldn't stand them. 
And then when Hillary was told, you're not warm enough, you've got to show more warmth, she was so bad at it, they liked her even less. They couldn't trust her. So it's not something you can fake. You have to really work on loving people. Now, if I asked all of you, what would your friend say on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love people with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Where would they put you on that scale? Well, most of us are over here. And as much as I've made love in the workplace like a lifelong agenda, I have a long way to go. It is a lifelong job. But I would encourage you to really become good at it. Now I have, in this, this is going to be a real politically incorrect question. Um, we're not allowed to talk about gender differences anymore. But the question is going to be, and I'm going to have you raise your hand to answer, who in general, in general, are more loving, men or women? Okay. Raise your hand if you think it's men. <laughs> All right. So, guys, you got to listen up, okay? God has given you a biological advantage to be stronger in a lot of... And, a lot of ways, but he has given us women a biological advantage. He has given childbearing age women oxytocin, large doses of it. It's called the love hormone. And we just get, this just comes upon us. Um, and so we get more social, we get more loving and everything. We can't take credit for it, but we are. And he's helping us. And you don't have that advantage. So... This is going to be a little harder for you guys. Now, women don't get cocky, because there's some problems for you, too. Um, women have a double standard they have to deal with in the workplace. Because we are more loving in general, everyone expects us to behave a certain way. And when we don't, they don't, they don't like it at all. Men and women expect women to be more loving. Guys can be total jerks in the office and everyone will say, oh, he's a guy. He can be a jerk. Women, no, she's a B-word. So there's a double standard. So you both have an advantage, you both have a disadvantage, but it's truly what the Lord tells us to do, right? I mean, we are to love people, and that's the way we glorify God, but it's also the way we become the best leaders out there. Okay, number five. I have two minutes with this one. Um, my favorite verse is Psalm 46.10. Most translations say, Be still and know that I am God. I did a deep dive on this in seminary, on the Hebrew, and that's not the right translation. I have a better translation. Um, and I hope you think of it every time you come across this verse. But it's not, be still kind of gives a connotation of wait around, hold off, let God act. This is about worry. This is about worry. So the right, a better translation is, chill out, I got this. Chill out. And in fact, if I was able to use a lot of words, it would say, for Pete's sake, I am the Lord God Almighty. 
I am all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. Don't worry. I've got this. All right. So let me just wrap up. you got five things. Remember what the five words? Do I have to repeat them? Have a good, strong, and content family. Get to know yourself, especially your weaknesses and how other people perceive you. Love the Lord, love people, and chill out. Okay, let me pray for us. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for this group of young, eager minds um, who uh, are all about you, Lord. They're here at Covenant because they love you. Um, Help them grow in their love for you, Lord, and their love for others. Help just feed them and nurture them while they are here at this very, very, very special place. Um, And Lord, bring sunshine soon. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.